starting being an entrepreneurship is is a journey, and it's I I draw a lot of parallel lines to endurance to, to endurance uh, sports because I. Um, I look at it and I say it's a long walk in the desert or it's like going for in endurance uh, sports and uh, going from aid station to aid station and just dreaming about your aid station and it's not coming when you need it. So that is the journey of entrepreneurship and you need to know how you're going to be your own cheerleader and nobody's going to give you a tap on the shoulder and say, oh my gosh, you did a great job. Uh, you have to do it by yourself and you have to find your own mentors and you have to be very, very determined at what you do. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders, game-changing influencers and next-level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your host, CEO and founder of Energy to Perform, international speaker and leadership performance coach, Craig Johns. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we speak with an ambitious entrepreneur, passionate about technology startups, aspiring future female leaders, and being an active CEO. She studied an MA Finance from the City University of New York, an Executive Master of Science in Finance from Zicklin School of Business, and a BA Economics and Business Development from Max Stern Yitzrael Valley College. After a career in the Israel Defense Forces, she moved with her family to Asia. Her roles included project manager and assistant to commercial and defense Hitachi at the Embassy of Israel in Singapore country manager Korea, Taiwan, Hong Kong, business development Asia for Billets International, and sales director Asia for Massive Impact. She founded Enemy Ventures in 2009 to help tech startups and SMEs establish in Asia. With a huge passion in supporting the next generation of entrepreneurs and women business leaders, she is the woman professor ranked technical expert at Providence University, Asia Pacific Desk, Chief Representative for the University of Haifa, Israel, and Chair of the Woman in Business Program for the British Chamber of Commerce in Taipei. I am honoured and privileged to introduce to you a tenacious and determined leader who loves the great outdoors, cycling big mountains, and embodying diversity, Rivertol Golan. Rivertol, welcome to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to be back in Taiwan and interviewing you in your Taipei office. We have spent many rides together in the stunning mountains of Taipei, which we'll touch on a little bit later in the interview. What was life like for you growing up in Israel and did you dream of a job that you were passionate about? So I grew up in uh, a community place called a kibbutz. A kibbutz is a unique um, form of living that exists only in Israel, uh, which is uh, a place where you are really connected to the to farming, uh, to agriculture, to working, and to living in a very close uh, community. Um, being living in Israel and going. Uh, growing up on the kibbutz taught me a lot about sharing, 
a lot about work ethic and about being in the nature. So that was excellent privilege uh, that I'm very happy with. Um, I was happy to have some also three years experience in New York where I moved with my family there. For me, it was like going to, to Mars from the kibbutz to New York. And then for the first time, I was exposed to the what I call international bug that later on caught me uh, and I decided to move on with my family. Beside that, living in Israel gives you interesting aspects because uh, it is compulsory to serve the military in Israel. And while it's compulsory for me, I took it as a way of um, taking the most out of it. So when I joined the, um, the military, I was just off high school. I was just 18 and I went through the basic trainings and I went through the regular uh, programs that every individual goes through. At the same time, I always um, had uh, the, I always had, I guess, the ambitious to be best at what I do. So uh, I went through commander course and then through a other commanding position um, and later through uh, officers course and went through uh, being um, commander on uh, cadet course myself. So at, being at the military was uh, an excellent ex first-hand experience for me for leadership. Yeah, definitely. So what a, what a diverse start to life and, and getting those opportunities to be overseas and, and then being in you know, the defense force there where you, know, you touched on there, it is, I, th I think, one of the only countries in the world where it is compulsory for male and female Correct. To, to serve in the military. Correct, and it's a privilege. Many people ask me if I had the choice, I mean, would I go? Um, well, it's hard to answer this question. At the same time, I really felt privileged. And one of the uh, things that I, that I say, um, it is the best university of life that I could have. And I didn't pay for it, <laughs> nor did I get paid. So what are the main things that I learned during the military? First is discipline. Discipline is something that I take through throughout my life and especially I see it as, um, as an important uh, characteristic of every leader. Discipline and then decision-making process under pressure, the importance of um, teamwork and, and also what it is to take hardship and those kind of lessons I've learned at very early stage and I feel that as a leader it's some of very important characteristics for almost every leader to have. So I'm very thankful for that experience and I was there almost for three years. Yeah. Wow, what a great experience. And obviously you're talking about being, you know, you're talking about being a really enjoyable experience with a difference. I cannot say enjoyable. Yeah. I say I, I can say um, an experience that was um, uh, it, it was a journey that contributed to who I am and what I do now. Yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> so Israel is known for for not losing wars, you know. So it has a very strong defense structure and you know has the ability to hold its own. So why do you think that Israel has been able to be so successful from that point of view compared to other countries who? Mm -hmm. Go into war and 
most of the times they fail? Well, I think that uh, it's a necessity and it's a survival matter. If you look at where Israel is at, uh, we are in the, uh, the the heart of the Middle East, surrounded by countries who are not supporting uh, Israel's right to exist, and therefore it's a necessity to to protect um, to protect uh, our country. And uh, when you are in such situation, you have you always need to out clever um, the majority, and that's what Israel continues uh, tries uh, to do. So there are many characteristics, or many reasons for uh, for that. Um, I think the number one is really we need to survive. We are small against big, and it's the only country that uh, is uh, the state of the of 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 for Jewish people. So. Uh, of course, there's a lot of other reasons uh, for that, but uh, I could highlight those <laughs> to begin with. Yeah. So, is, is it a is it really command and control, or is there quite a lot of empowerment for ideas and constant improvement when you're in that? Well, Israel mentality is something that is unique and is well known across uh, the world, and Israel is called startup nation for a reason. So, yes, it is command and control, but you can voice your mind, and it's okay to challenge authority. And that is the beauty about the, the, the culture of Israel. You can challenge authority, you can say what you want, at the end the commander will decide. And same goes through business. Same goes to business. Everybody can tell you, uh, let's say, if you're the boss or if, if you join any company, you can say what you think is right and what your opinions are, and then you can argue about that and you can say it with full passion. At the end of the day, is going to be what the boss or the manager will decide. And that is something that I'm missing in Asia. I miss the fact that I, I want junior people or any other people to challenge me or challenge their bosses or uh, even have the uh, courage to fail. Because one of the things that we see in Israel that um, we look at failure as part of the process of part of the learning process and in Asia many times it's kind of a face loss or considers as a face loss uh, which is a problem because then people don't dare to try although in Israel if you fail that's your first step of getting closer to your next success. It's a learning process that it is okay to happen and you have to embrace it. Um, so that is also another big difference that I can say that is very much uh, typical to the Israel entrepreneurship culture, which I am missing or wish to bring here into Asia. Yeah, yeah it's quite fascinating because you see that obviously in business a lot and, and in families here. Uh, what's interesting though is we haven't seen that so much in in the endurance sport world because we're seeing a lot more people give things a go. Mm -hmm. So I suppose it's a little bit different, right? So they're willing to, to you know, do things together and participate, but it's probably that competition side that's where they may go. Uh, I'm not really that yeah. passionate about going, really putting myself out of the boundary here and throwing it all on the line to see if I can actually win versus, you know what, I'll just, I think that all comes from uh, either if you have this uh, competitive uh, fire in you. Um, I'm very competitive and everything that I do I want to be the best 
whether it was whether it's in military business or sport so if I want to be the best I gotta work very hard for it to achieve it and I know and that's where kind of I have those uh, kind of uh, Uh, behavior that from the military or I learned a lot from the military and how to work hard in order to perform your best but you're right about the part of the competition many people say oh I just want to finish XYZ Um, for me it was no Uh, I want to be on the podium and I'm there to compete because otherwise I can do it at my own time so what makes people just want to join or want to be competitive? It's hard for me to put a finger on, but I definitely see that. <laughs> well, it's 90% of society who just wants to you know, enjoy things as a social aspect. You know, they, they like being with people and they like experiencing something with someone else, whereas it's probably 10% of us that, right. <laughs> that, that want to be number one. <laughs> right. When I go to uh, races and when I participated in races and I participate in cycling, running, triathlons, trail runs, um, any kind of endurance uh, sports. Uh, I don't go there to to enjoy the view or social with my friends. If I do want to do that, I'll go for a nice hike or dinner. If I go to races, I I go to compete. I want to be my best. <laughs> so at the end of the 20th century, you moved right. your family to Asia. You know, what attracted you to to step outside of your home country and, and the life that you are comfortable and you um, to explore a different life? Okay, so I, actually I started my life in Asia. So I moved uh, with my husband, we, it was uh, uh, pre-kids then, and we moved pretty early. And um, I guess it's the same bug that, that started a long time ago that uh, for me, every time I try to see how I can push my limits and try something new, whether it's physical or whether it's mental. And moving to another country is always you you need to explore so many things about the country, about yourself, about what you want to do. It was definitely a no-brainer for my husband and I when we decided to move to, to Asia. I didn't know anything about Asia then. Um, it was an opportunity that came um, and then we jumped on it immediately and uh, our first assignment was in Singapore which I call it Asia light and it was a good introduction to Asia and also we were then uh, as I mentioned um, pre-kids so we had the opportunity to ease into the Asia life and I thought that was fascinating and that's where I uh, joined the uh, Israeli embassy and worked for the defense and the commercial attache and I enjoyed that um, a great deal and then we started our journey in, uh, in Asia, <laughs> yeah. Brilliant, so, so that role in Singapore, you know, are you dealing a lot with defense back in Israel and Singapore? You know, how, what was that role all about? The role was, there's a lot of commercial engagement that is also related to defense between Israel and Singapore, both being small countries that need to defend themselves against big uh, neighbors that uh, potentially have uh, um, much stronger abilities. So there was a lot of uh, exchange around uh, commercial and defense um, uh, related uh, sectors and I was uh, facilitating in that regards. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, you know, you've got a lot of passion for people, you know, for, uh, for mm-hmm. teaching people, also learning yourself and, and you're always trying to experiment and push beyond the, the boundaries. Yes. What were the challenges you faced while managing three countries 
you know, Taiwan, Korea, Hong Kong for Berlitz International? Mm -hmm. Well, it's so uh, multicultural and many people say, oh, a they look at Asia and, and say Asians, this is how Asians uh, react or this is the cultural matter for Asia. Taiwan, Korea and Hong Kong are different countries and different uh, cultures and different languages and different personalities all together. And uh, coming uh, from Israel, I had to go through a lot of adjustments. Okay, The major ones were, uh, was Israelis are very uh, blunt, I can say, direct, and I'm a very direct person uh, by nature. And I also come from a German <laughs> background. My family uh, is uh, comes from uh, originally from Germany, so we are very, very direct. Um, uh, and in that regards, I learned a lot. So first, Asia taught me how to be humble and how to uh, use third party or other people if I want to uh, get my uh, message across. Um, it uh, taught me. Um, how to be a better listener and uh, it taught me how to be a better observant of the situations and know people and also rely on my local team to give me guidance. So listen a lot to my local team, understand more about each culture and then also help them come with recommendations and then as a team we make a decision. So uh, for each country, it was a different deal, but I applied those main kind of rules in myself for, to myself in order to, to reach the right decision. And you, another thing that you have to learn is, is you almost become blind when you come to a new uh, country because you don't understand the language and you don't understand the culture and you cannot read naturally documents or uh, it's not in your own language. So. Um, the most important thing is having a team that you can trust and building your team that you can work very closely with. So that's what that's the number one lesson that I've learned. So when you first arrived, were you trying to still keep some of the, I suppose, the daily things that you would do in Israel, the way you do things in Israel? Did you try and naturally bring that into? Uh, your roles in Asia or did you come with a very open mind and just kind of mm -hmm. forget okay that was my life this is how I'm going to look now I think that uh, what I always do is uh, find a balance between between adapt and also influence um, I cannot throw everything that I grew up on on who I am at out the window and it's not necessary that's why I'm here to take a management role so where can I adapt and where can I adjust to the local culture and the local um, uh, the, the, the business culture but what can I bring with me in order to make a change and that balance or that that thin line is very hard to to maneuver and I try to uh, be very uh, true to myself and what do I believe is right and what I grew up on at the same time what can I adjust and I continue with that and I keep a, a very thin balance mm -hmm. Yeah, very good. So you spent a couple of years working a massive impact as a sales director of right. Asia. You know, what was it like to work in the 
advertising world, is that correct? It was, it's a, it's a, um, it was a startup company in mobile advertising and I worked there for a year and a half um, after I left Berlitz and actually that was a, a stepping stone for me to open my own company. Um, after a year and a half I said, well, my experience so far, my passion so far is to bring more startups and innovations into Asia. And my knowledge and network uh, from Israel and Europe is very valuable for that. Um, another thing that I also discovered is I don't want to work with any, for anybody else. I just want to work for myself. Yeah. And um, I decided in 2000, it was in 2009, in fact, in the midst of the financial crisis to open my own company. And that was the worst time ever to open my own company. Um, in 2008, in fact, my husband lost his job because of uh, the financial crisis. Everything went down. Um, and then I came with the idea, no, I'm just actually going to open my company. and I was very positive that it's going to work and I told my husband it's now it's the time and in fact it was a double dip for us not only we lost his salary I invested in my own company so you can imagine the looking at the bank every time and seeing like <laughs> the, 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 the level of cash going down 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 and I was very sure that the, no this is the, our opportunity to shine and in fact it's the opportunity because the financial crisis um, would shift businesses from the U.S. And, and move them into Asia because they can be less reliant on the U.S. markets and Europe markets and need to seek new markets. And that's where we can be their anchor. We can be those technology, technology companies anchor in Asia. Um, so I, despite the fact that it was the worst time to start the company, I felt very confident and somehow I um, convinced my husband that we're not going to burn our kids' education money and it will hopefully bring it back at later stage. Yeah. So, so starting your company in Taiwan, yeah. you know, was there much red tape? You know, was, it, was it difficult to establish? You know, what sort of processes did you have to well, go through? Thank God Taiwan came a long way and many times people ask me, well, why when you established your company in Asia, why did you why did you choose Taiwan? Why didn't you go to Hong Kong or China where people think it's the natural place to be? Hong Kong because it's an easy setup of the company and China because that's where the market is. Well, people stopped asking me now. After the trade wars and after what happens in Hong Kong, people now understand that Taiwan is the place. But going back to those questions that were asked then, and I said, Taiwan is, it offers a unique opportunity of a business-friendly environment in a very cost-effective place. And it's still the hub of Asia in terms of proximity to major markets. And I was very consistent on that. But I got these questions on why Taiwan so many times. And I said, uh, I explained why then. And I'm very happy that those questions have gone away now that people understand, no, China is problematic and Hong Kong suffers from a lot of issues right now due to the China uh, situation. Now Taiwan actually enjoys more um, businesses returning, repatriating to Taiwan because they understand the opportunity that it offers. Again, cost-effective place, 
a, a, a very open place to do business. It is, in terms of proximity, two hours away from all, two hours flight from all major cities and four hours flight from other important um, uh, locations. It's, uh, it's a Chinese speaking place and uh, a great uh, stepping stone to China. It's a great place to launch your businesses and then have some adjustments into Asia and then go to China. And um, the red tape uh, factor does not exist as as hard it is or as tough it is in other countries. So Taiwan is making a tremendous um, changes that uh, make it much more friendlier to foreign establishment to open their business here. So you're touching a little bit there around what your business does. So can you explain how your business model works? And if someone's looking to come into Asia, you know, what steps would you take to help them? So we support technology companies that are within the startups and SMEs area enter Asia. Um, and in that regards, we save, we serve as their business development anchor here uh, in Taiwan into Asia when they want to test the market and see how the market responds to their services and, and products. And they don't need to establish their full operation immediately. We do their business development uh, from the start and we also introduce them to strategic partners and to investors or we introduce them to new sectors, to new areas and to potential distributors uh, and uh, local uh, corporations here. So in that regards, the way we work that they can come and work with us uh, for six months and then later see how does the market responds to their product and services and then take it from here, from there. And, and um, this is a, a very uh, cost effective way to explore the market opportunities for them um, in Asia yeah so you know what what um, you know when, when you look at it from a testing bed so what type of things you do to uh, test their products you know test the market is it going out um, into you know the, the corporates here like what what's that kind of process so the like? process is that uh, when the company enters um, a new market they need to identify their uh, sales channels they need to identify what products of their portfolio will be most attractive where are the low-hanging fruits what are the risks that they may face um, what are the adjustment that they may need to do and then we assess all of that for them and come with recommendation on how to enter and approach the market and uh, we then uh, become their uh, sales arm on the ground and connect with their potential uh, clients or partners and when we do that we then bring them after that with the interested uh, uh, potential or the interested leads we connect them and we continue to facilitate the sales process um, so they can effectively continue to sell either the services or products with the local uh, with the local uh, partners and see how the market responds to that so basically that is the process yeah. and you're seeing a, a bigger growth and bigger demand from companies wanting to come into you know Taiwan or Asia 
Oh, absolutely. And especially in 2019, where the trade wars really hit a lot of the countries that were uh, looking at uh, China and almost, I call it China blind when they say China, China, China. But there are other countries in Asia, and we talked about this. Asia is not just one. It's, Asia is a complex of many countries, and those countries are of potential for tech companies. So um, don't be China blind and see beyond uh, that. And we see a growing interest, not only coming and working from Taiwan, where it also has a, a fantastic and uh, IP protection uh, for technologies, uh, which uh, um, it's a risk in China. So uh, starting from Taiwan would be a very good po uh, point for technology companies that also wish to have a very strong protection of their IP and their uh, trademarks and then uh, continue to other uh, countries in Asia and eventually also when they are more mature and have a very good um, uh, case studies they can enter China with more confidence and after they adjustment their product and services it is absolutely necessary for all of the startups and companies and SMEs that we work with to adjust their product and services to China and to other countries in Asia and to have this early adjustment phase uh, through smaller markets is really proven helpful for for their um, uh, for their secure entry to Asia. Yeah. So recently, you've been you started speaking and lecturing in business yeah. at prominent universities and you know across Taiwan. What are the big focus points that you like to share with the students around entrepreneurship? Mm -hmm. So what, um, I love talking about entrepreneurship and one of the things that I ask is, or the topics of discussion is, entrepreneurship is it for you? Because everybody should assess, are they ready for that? Do they have the right personality? Do they want to pursue it? What is entrepreneurship compared to being an employee at uh, a corporation. What does it take to be an entrepreneur? So that uh, those are the topics that I address. Yeah, because I mean, it's a, a lot of businesses fail within the first two years mm -hmm. of starting. Well, um, starting, being an entrepreneurship is, is a journey. And it's, I, I draw a lot of parallel lines to endurance, to, to endurance uh, sports because I, um, I look at it and I say it's a long walk in the desert or it's like going for in, endurance uh, sports and uh, going from aid station to aid station and just dreaming about your aid station and it's not coming when you need it. So that is the journey of entrepreneurship and you need to know how you're are going to be your own cheerleader and nobody's going to give you a tap on the shoulder and say oh my gosh you did a great job uh, you have to do it by yourself and you have to find your own mentors and you have to be very very determined at what you do and you have to know um, also how to adapt and change to the circumstances so it's a combination of a lot of um, a lot of factors and the most important part is you as a person need to understand is it for me because if it's not don't go there <laughs> what do you think are the big sort of opportunities for entrepreneurs over the next decade the biggest opportunities is that now corporations are starting to think like startups and want to adapt 
innovative um, innovative solutions and they encourage low uh, they encourage their entrepreneur uh, their uh, employees to think as entrepreneurs um, and that is the biggest opportunities uh, for entrepreneurs because when they launch their own business they can find themselves um, being integrated as a talent as one of the corporations or being bought by an investor or being uh, being bought by a company that sees their potential um, so whether it's being um, integrated as a talent to the corporations or whether being uh, invested by a VC or whether it's being bought by another corporation. There are a lot of uh, um, opportunities to entrepreneurs this time much more than ever. Yeah. So, so how important is it for employers to build a diverse workforce. Okay, diversity is one of the things that I'm most keen on and I speak a lot about. Diverse work scope is uh, extremely important in many, in, in many ways. First, it is proven that companies that have diversity uh, within their employees uh, achieved uh, better uh, bottom line, better profits. Um, and another thing is how, well, I'm passionate about women uh, in business and how to promote um, the numbers of women in senior positions because it's very interesting that women do take 50% of the workforce in almost, in almost every sector, but they are less than 20% when we look at senior positions and 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 what are the reasons for that so the reasons for that are of course there are many reasons for that it comes for corporation being very very male dominated and it also comes from um, women inside uh, maybe uh, what what motivates them and their decisions and how we educate them and uh, what are the influencers uh, around them that they see. So um, I'm very passionate about um, empowering women um, to pursue their careers uh, and their ambitions and uh, to, to understand that they have no limits. And sometimes there are what we see as, um, as, the, as the glass ceiling in many corporations that are male dominated. Um, so we need to help to break that um, and work with the woman from bottom up and also from corporation, from with corporation, corporations, working with, with their senior um, leaders to understand how they can be, um, how they can help uh, encourage their own, their woman to, to to apply for senior roles and how they can make uh, a more friendly um, environment for for women to pursue their careers. So what do you think are three key fundamentals or things that aspiring female leaders can focus on to overcome their fears and, and hurdles they face to getting the roles that they really want or starting their own business? To females, uh, on, on, on this side, what I would say is first, live your life. Don't live your kid's life, don't live your husband's life, don't live your parents' life. Live your own life. 
what do you really want to do okay because don't think that you're sacrificing anything for anybody else because your kids never ask you to sacrifice anything for them and they uh, and they they at the end when they reach um, when, when they become 18 you cannot say to them I sacrificed my career for you because they will tell you I didn't ask you to sacrifice anything for me okay so one of the things that I would say to women live your own life and pursue your passion as you see it because you may regret it later on and you want to do whatever it is I'm not saying you don't have to be in business but pursue your passion whether whatever the, the your passion is live your own life so this is number one that I would say another thing is um, well it depends if if you are uh, raising a family then it's it's a partnership and and there are mutual responsibilities for uh, for uh, each side to, to take responsibility um, for the family, and it and it should be equal. But whether you are um, whether you choose to have a family or not, that's not that's not the case. Uh, the point is how to simply live your life and 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 there. But I guess that comes for uh, whether you're uh, male or female. But that will be my number one advice or recommendation. Yeah, I like that. It's, it's a good one. And it was something I was going to ask actually is around, you know, whether they, they should focus on what they want to do versus what they expected to exactly. do. So you've, exactly. Yeah, it's really important. Now, you're chair of the Woman in Business program at the British Chamber of Commerce in Taipei. What are the key agenda items that you're working on? And are there any really big key success stories that you've seen so oh, far? Oh, absolutely. So what we're trying to do is first, how do we inspire and empower women um, in business across Taiwan to really uh, participate in senior role positions and pursue their careers. We do this through events, in, uh, through uh, bringing events together, like uh, bringing uh, keynote speakers, uh, uh, touching various uh, sectors, women in government, women in sports, women in business, women in education. We have a fantastic mentorship program um, that was inspired by our survey that when we talk to women and ask them, what are the one thing that um, led you to, or get, gave you the guts to do more or to pursue your career? And a lot of them said a good mentor. And then we decided to launch a mentorship program where uh, we called up for our members uh, to join this mentorship program and uh, called for mentees and mentors to volunteers to volunteer and we paired between mentees and mentors and we launched a half a year program um, that the mentors work with the mentees and they go through their um, goals, fears, 
or anything that they wish to share uh, between them and go through a journey together where they can learn from one another. Last, uh, we, this is our second year of uh, this program that we just launched and we doubled the numbers of uh, pairs that we had from last year. Um, and I'm very proud of that and we had uh, such a huge um, interest from mentees to join this program. We chose that women want to to continue to grow their uh, uh, to pursue their dreams and grow their careers, and they and they're so eager to have such programs. So I'm very proud of that. We're going to have a very big event uh, in March uh, around women in tech, and and also March um, we're going to celebrate together the Women Day, which is going to be on March 8th. So around that, we're going to have a very big event, uh, bringing inspiring speakers. Um, that will that can share their stories with our members. We also see a very good participation from corporations that 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 are very keen to to show to commit to numbers in in, in showing a big difference in the numbers in their organizations of senior women uh, of of um, senior executives um, that are women so we we we're happy that our members are commit committed in numbers so having like in a goal for 2020 and 2020 2021 that we're going to increase the number of uh, uh, senior leaders um, by oh, by over 30 percent uh, so we have the women participation and the corporation's commitment to increase the level of women participation in senior positions we're very proud of that well, great it's a great uh, great goal you're setting and it's great to see the outcomes that you're achieving along the way being out usually on your own for long periods of time when you're doing your endurance training or even racing you know people tend to experience a roller coaster of emotions so how do you cope with those low emotional times whether it be as an athlete or be when you're as an entrepreneur um so you you go through it a lot and what what i say like in endurance sport entrepreneurship and owning your own business is very very similar you go through a lot of um of failures no's rejections and you have very 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 little highlights of joy it's like when you do a triathlon when you do an ironman Okay, you suffer through the whole way. Okay, there, it's not enjoyable. I, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy anything about it. And when people ask me, what is the, 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 the best part that you enjoy in triathlon? I said, that's very easy, crossing the finish line. Now with business, is, you simply need to celebrate successes. You need to identify your successes and celebrate it because again, nobody's gonna tell you you did a great job. Oh, you just crossed the finish line. It's even more difficult than um, doing your, uh, than, than, than racing because it's sometimes hard to identify the success point, but you have to know how to identify the success point and how to celebrate it 
within yourself and within your team. And you can do this by building milestones and also by understanding what are your milestones, how do you identify it, how do you celebrate it. So that's what I do. Another thing that I do um, in training and in business, uh, it's I, I talk to myself a lot in my mind, okay? I celebrated every every step or every leg. So for example, if I do Ironman or any other races that are, that are uh, long-term, I, 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 I try to find the next point that I celebrate uh, to myself. And even let's say I just finished the swim, I said, oh, congratulations, you have done amazingly because you, you completed something that is actually by its own very hard. And even if everything will go wrong from now on, at least you, you completed it successfully. And, and, and for business, the same thing. Okay, so I, I identified those points and I said, congratulations, you finished that and you did this really well and now let's get ready for the next step. Yeah, so fueling your, your body and your mind yes. is so important Absolutely. Uh, in, the, in both business world and as an athlete. You've changed to you know, vegan a number of years ago. Yes. Why did you choose? Sorry, many years ago. Many years ago now. So why did you choose to become and remain a vegan for such a long period of time? Okay, so I became vegetarian at the age of 16 and I decided to become vegetarian because it was simply, I couldn't stand the thought that I'm eating animals. I was always close to animals. I loved animals and it's and I, it was something that I just couldn't understand. It, and of course, I was a teenager and my mom said, ah, it's a teenage thing, it will pass and everything. It didn't pass. I continued to be a vegetarian, vegetarian for all those years. I became vegan for uh, the past, like, uh, I think 11 years. And the reason that I became vegan is that, again, I decided, wait a minute, I don't eat any meat because I love animals, but I make them my factory for all the other stuff, that's as bad. So this kind of realization came to me and I said, I'm, I'm becoming vegan. And um, I became vegan and all of my uh, sport buddies, who are mainly men, um, told me, you know, you can do so much better if you had eaten properly and if you had the right amount of protein and and you you would be so much better and i said to myself or i, I always said then okay first pro, protein is overrated i know it sounds like a joke but of course it's very important to eat protein but i get the same amount of protein that i need and um vegan being vegan being vegetarian and later vegan is a lifestyle it's a lifestyle that um that that I'm very passionate for other reasons, but I have to take care of my body because I consider myself as an athlete. I'm kind of a wannabe athlete, <laughs> but I consider myself as an athlete. So you have to be responsible in that regards. I cannot say that I'm very responsible. I try to uh, keep a very balanced uh, diet. And for me, it's very hard to actually maintain uh, nutrition that is enough to fill the sports that I do with my vegan diet. I have to eat a lot. Um, but right now, with the growing awareness for veganism, people are start, starting to understand, again, what I said now, okay, guys, it's okay to be vegan. And the fact of the matter is, look at the results. 
look at the results. You want to argue that? So now people understand because of the awareness. But before that, I got the same question that I got for China. Why are you vegan? If you were not vegan, you could be so much better. And I always said, I'm actually fine where I am. It's interesting. I was talking about this uh, with some people the other day that, you know, if we look at diets over the years, the ones that have proof have been around for tens of thousands of years, right? So, you know, it's your plant base, it's your grains, it's your fruit and vegetables. Um, it's things that don't require the middle person, right? Exactly. So the middle person might be a cow or a sheep or a, or a pig. You know, they consume the exactly. grains, the vegetables, etc., and then manufacture it into something that we then eat. So why not cut out the middle person? Mm -hmm. So I like that. Well, for me, approach. it was very obvious. I mean, for me, it was very obvious to not eat meat when I became an kind of a young adult. And it was very obvious for me to be vegan. And um, I never, because I stopped eating all these products for a long, long time, it's very hard for me to even think that I would ever eat that. Um, it suits my lifestyle and what I believe in perfectly. And I'm not saying that there are not, no, I, I, maybe I have some other problems because it's very hard to maintain some of the, some of the uh, nutritious aspects, for example, calcium, um, as, 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 as a woman and as an athlete is an issue. Um, but beside that, I feel very good about myself. And the most important thing is how you feel about what you do. And that's, you know, that's a, I'm, I'm happy with, with, with that lifestyle. <laughs> so we all know smart people have great answers, but the best and most successful people ask great questions. Mm -hmm. When was the last time you did something for the first time? I try to do something new every time. Every year I set for myself, what do I want to do new that I haven't done to before and every year I do it every year <laughs> okay so this year was really to um, to be a professor at the university um, and then uh, to be a leader for women in business uh, to uh, be to hold forums at high schools for example for diversity um, for me doing something new is a way of life for every year I can tell you a list of things that I've done that are that were new and the reason is my continuous passion and will to challenge myself physically and emotionally and mentally because that's what we live for we live to reach those um I, I, it, the limits of where we are and what we can do and when when i do something new then i know i have this kind of nervousness i have this kind of excitement i have this kind of i don't know how i will be able to perform i love this uh feeling of excitement fear and uh but also some sort of happiness <laughs> <laughs> what is the one question that you would love to solve 
I would love to solve the problem of the growing gap um, between the rich, poor, poor, educated, uneducated. Um, this is a problem that, in my op opinion, will th this gap will continue to grow, and um, this is going to be. Uh, our uh, the, the biggest problem that leaders need to face. So diversity is one solution which would need to be embraced and of course there's not there's a lot of factors that will um, contribute to that but I hope that diversity and in my efforts in doing that uh, will be something that can uh, can bring a change. What is your definition of an extraordinary life? Reaching, I mean, trying to touch all your limits. Trying to touch your limits in your, phys your physical ability limits, your mental ability, seeing where you, where you can always perform better and you're emotional in terms of like, how much love that you can feel for something. So for me, living uh, and touching all those aspects at what I think my limits are, and, and I haven't found them, thank God, yet. But I will continue to challenge them and try to push them in those uh, three areas. That's how I know that I'm, that I'm, living my life at the fullest yeah very good very good i like that so how can people learn more about what you do and what was the best way for people to connect with you if they wish to so um first um so my name is revital and our company is animal ventures and it's easy to find me in any ways through our website animalventures.com and and connect with me on facebook revital and on linkedin and i'm very very happy to share my experience and invite people to connect with me and share their challenges and uh whether it's in business or whether it's um, just entrepreneurs starting their own their own career and, and want to share uh, their experience and hear my opinion, or women who are in business and wish to pursue their careers, I'm very very happy to connect with anybody who see my uh, who, who think that I can uh, offer some sort of uh, ideas and feedback. <laughs> Rivetol, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Some fascinating insights there into your life early on in the Israel Defense Force and how that kind of shaped your, who you are and as a leader, um, whether it be through the adversity or the resilience or strategic thinking, um, leadership qualities that came through that, to stepping outside the bounds of normal home life, which can be really comfortable, you know, that's what you grew up into experiencing and experimenting in new places around the world and challenging yourself every single day, every single minute to go to that next level. What's next? How can I go higher? How can I get better? Whether it be as a, as a mum, as a educator, as a businesswoman, um, or even as an athlete. And, and I've definitely seen you push the limits many times as an athlete when we're out cycling together or seeing you at a triathlon over the years. 
your insights into how people can excel as an entrepreneur and how females can get away from those perceived barriers and actually just believe in themselves and have the confidence to go for it and push beyond and forget it's not about other people's expectations or or looking after and thinking about other people's lives all the time. You actually have to think about yourself. You know, we're here for a short period of time. So really thank you. And, and just want to acknowledge and appreciate how much work you do for other people while you are living your own life, while you're pushing your own boundaries and, and chasing that, what is the next level? Is thank you for all the work that you do for the amazing people around the world. And I look forward to seeing how you continue to progress not only in your business, but also in your professional and personal life. So thank you very much for today. Thank you for having me and thank you for this opportunity. On this week's Active CEO Performance Tip, we're talking about free your mind. We need to be very disciplined and attentive with our focus currency. It is becoming more challenging to remain focused, be present and attentive with globalization and technology driving constant contact 24-7. We can easily be bombarded with attention-grabbing information, which can provide stressful emotions and be challenging to filter. Our workplaces have become custom-built to destroy both individual and team-focused. We are exposed to the constant chatter and noise in collaborative working and open-plan workspaces. Ever-growing number of scheduled meetings and internal emails can lead to overwhelm and scrambling to get real work completed before and after work, as well as the weekends. How tempting is the lure of social media and social networking streams, status updates and instant gratification? With all these challenging aspects in our life, it is important that you actively free your mind each day you know, to, to let it recharge because it becomes very cluttered and when it's cluttered, it's very difficult to think with clarity and precision. So you can free your mind through exercise, meditation, walking in nature, listening to music, spending time with your children, breathing patterns, visualizing positive and relaxing thoughts. And for others, it can just be a walk in nature. So how are you going to free your mind today? Thank you for listening to a thought-provoking and really interesting conversation with Rivertol Golon, Entrepreneur State of Mind, on episode 82 of the Active CEO podcast. We have a lot of control when it comes to stress. We may not be able to prevent stress from occurring. However, how we respond to that stress is a choice and a choice that we own. It all comes down to a state of mind and how we manage it. If you have great self-discipline, then you have the ability to implement your own strategies to free your mind. Those who don't have good self-discipline and control require the support of someone else to keep them in routine, such as an executive assistant, personal coach, or group of like-minded people. Active CEO coaching provides the support you require to ensure that you have the discipline to manage stress and be a high-performing leader. If this is for you, then contact me at craig at nrg2perform.com or click on the contact page of the www.nrg2perform.com website. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong.
Join the active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's nrg2perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to Perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to Perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.